morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever and whenever you may be, and welcome to episode 99 of the Fade to Black podcast. I've got 99 problems, but the podcast ain't Woo! one. Hit me! Is that Jay-Z? No, it's Hannah Flint. I'm Hannah Flint. I'm Clarice Lockery. And I'm a modern woman. This week, Clarice talks cocaine bear with screenwriter and number one Fade to Black fan, <laughs> Jimmy Warden. <laughs> Well, in our review, we decide once and for all whether that bear really did cocaine. Plus, we talk found families in Hirokazu Koreeda's broker and arranged marriage in rom-com What's Love Got to Do With It. Plus, Amon speaks to Ashima Dekwe about Netflix's new thriller, The Strays. And in our hot take with hashtag BAFTA so white trending once more, we ask whether the organisation's supposed commitment to change has actually made any material difference to the awards. But first, uh, let's catch up with everyone. Uh, how's everyone going? Uh, Clarice, how was your um, sojourn into the world of Mandalorian? I might just say, Amon, also, how was your sojourn into the world of Mandalorian? Indeed. It was probably the greatest <laughs> day of 2023 so far. Because I just got to do Star Wars shit all day. <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, we've got very exciting... Well, it was exciting for me. I don't know if it's going to be exciting for people to listen to, but it was exciting for me to talk to John Favreau about The Mandalorian Season 3. And I got to ask the question, <laughs> the burning Star Wars question of my life, and I sort of got an answer. Um, so that was really cool for me. I'm not going to spoil what it is, but... Uh, and then, yeah, well, we, Amon, we, we both went to this pop-up they had, which was called The Forge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was very cool. They had all the Mandalorian cosplayers were there, and they had these hot guys who were smelting things. <laughs> and I got an ingot, uh, a Beskar ingot. I'm holding up that... my pure Beskar right now. Yeah. I don't know. That's That'll go somewhere <laughs> on my shelf. <laughs> And and they had a band play the theme, and it was it was really great. It was such a good day. I wish I just could on loop. Do... That's the only thing they could play. No, but they no, played no, they like pl- other bits. They played yeah. the main theme, and they played the Marshall Tale, which is the two sort of best tracks really in all of the Mandalorian. Uh, so that was good for me. I was definitely bopping along. Um, we got to wield the dark saber. Uh, that was cool. Uh, in addition, we, 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 we had some blue milk. Uh, that was cool. <laughs> it wasn't really blue milk. It was milk that was blue. Okay. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> but yeah. an effort was made. I see. I'd appreciate it. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was. Was it like flavored though? Was it like vanilla? It was chocolate flavored with milk? rum. Um, so, so yeah, it was, it was nice. It was nice. I had a good time. Um, yeah, and I'm very much in Mando mode. I've been re-watching a few episodes here and there over the week. i got to say, a character who I really miss, Quill, uh, the the person who helps out Mando in season one but then dies. The Ice Poker dude. I really miss that dude. He was a real one, man. He always had Mando's back, cool, endearing, had a great sort of one-liner, like a Nick Nolte. He was fantastic in that role. So, yeah, he is missed. Um, but but yeah, no, I'm a big fan of the show. Very excited for season three. Uh, and it's going to be really interesting, new season of Mando, because when I think about where it started off in season one, 
it was so distinct from everything going on with the Skywalker saga. Then at the end, the end of season two happens, and obviously Luke comes in to do his thing, and it's awesome, and it's really cool. But now Mando is sort of in between being his own distinct self and also the Skywalker stuff. I'm intrigued to see how that balance fares in season three and beyond. Uh, but I'm excited for it too. Hmm. So was there any naughty stuff? Did they have any naughty, <laughs> naughty powders? Naughty spice? Oh. In that, in the silver? Do you have anything? No? I mean, maybe. I don't judge what guests were doing okay. at that time. Oh, well. I don't know. I can't vouch for every person who attended that event. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know who was doing some naughty stuff? It was on the powder. It was powdering their nose. <laughs> this bear. Beth, we should go. Millions of dollars worth of cocaine fell from the sky this morning in Knoxville, Tennessee. There's more this out there. They dumped it somewhere. I'm looking for my daughter. Forest is a dangerous place. Hey, Henry, check it out. Something got into it. A deer, maybe. A lot of cocaine was lost. I need you to go and get it. Ah, hi, baby. Ah, get higher, baby. Ah, get higher, baby. And don't never come down. Free face. <laughs> um, this is cocaine bear. It's about a bear who do cocaine. <laughs> a 500-pound black bear consumes a significant amount of cocaine and embarks on a drug-fueled rampage. Uh, as... An eccentric gathering of cops, criminals, tourists, and teenagers assemble in a Georgia forest. Directed by Elizabeth Banks with a script by Jimmy Warden, it stars Kerry Russell, O'Shea Jackson Jr., Alden Ehrenreich, <laughs> Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Look, there's a preference here. You might be able to tell. <laughs> there's a favorite amongst this cast. Brooklyn Prince, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., Margot Mottendale, and the late Ray Liotta. So I was had a great time talking to Jimmy Warden about Cocaine Bear and sort of all the all the ways that Cocaine Bear is both the movie you expect it to be and not the movie you expect it to be and like how does a how does a person actually sit down and write a script that follows the title Cocaine Bear, you know? Like <laughs> that's not easy. Uh so yeah, it was great talking to him and um, the first thing he said is that he listened to some of the the podcast, which no one has ever said before, and that was really nice that he took the time. And I believe not in preparation quote... to write the film, though. Right? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Imagine we inspired energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I probably inspired that character that was crying all the time. And think I'm him, <laughs> but um. Yeah, that, and I think to quote, he said that it was very entertaining. So yeah, we're going to put that yeah, on the the Spotify <laughs> on the Spotify description page now. But please enjoy my conversation with Cocaine Bear screenwriter Jimmy Warden. Hey, how's it going? It's so nice to meet you. How are you doing? I was just uh, in preparation for this. I was listening to a couple of your uh, your pods. 
very uh oh my god very entertaining oh. yeah they're great oh that's awesome thank you oh my god I, I never expect people to actually listen to it so that's amazing thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. maybe I did too much homework does that is that not cool? no it's just very flattering I'm like that's really cool thank you <laughs> yeah of course uh and I I mean I want to start off by saying congratulations because I had a stupid amount of fun watching this movie I really enjoyed it uh and the thing that really hit me about halfway through is that, and this is at least just for me, it really feels like a pitch perfect homage to all these kinds of like B movies and horror movies and all like the cult classics from the 80s. Uh, and I wondered like how much of the fact that the actual real cocaine bear incident took place in 1985 end up dictating the kind of movie that you wanted to write? Um, I think that that is, well, it's interesting when you, it was, it was one of those things where I like, I had the date, I had the idea and you have the setting and everything is kind of just, just works perfectly. Right. Like it's between those types of like, um, campy horror movies that we love from the eighties and then also the war on drugs and the time where, you know, it's the, the cocaine decade, basically. Um, and then sort of like the, the perfect setting for all of these storylines to interweave. It was one of those things where it was just like too perfect. Um, and th- it definitely had, um, it, it definitely was something that I was thinking about uh, the whole time, but it wasn't that I was, uh, doing it on purpose. It just kind of like, it ended up that way. You know, it was just, it was such a perfect set of circumstances that it was like, there's only one way you could do it. I think, um, which when you're, when you're writing a story is sort of, um, ideal, you know, cause it doesn't mm. always happen that way. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the reasons it made me think of that is I know Elizabeth Banks has described this a couple of times as a character piece, which I totally agree with. And I think there is something that when often I'm watching these older slasher movies, I always find myself surprised and caught out by how sincere they are and kind of uncynical they can be about the actual would-be victims. It's like, it's not always just bodies for slaughter and I feel like that was such a huge part of cocaine bear it's like we gotta know who these people are before limbs start being pulled off was that something that was again like just sort of obvious to you like we have to do this or um was that in the process that you're realizing like no we really need to kind of flesh these people out and have these really full storylines for them well I think that in the um you know the the first thing that I needed to do was kind of uh, decide on what story we were telling and whose story we were telling. Um, the movie's definitely ensemble, an ensemble, but I always felt like it was Cocaine Bear's story. You know, it's Cocaine Bear's movie. I, I, I think that the actors in this film are incredible, but also like, look who's <laughs> look who's on the poster, right? Um, <laughs> And um, the, you know, the first objective was like, w- at which point do we pick it up? 
Um, and taking the true story, I was like, I don't think that this bear should, and you've seen the movie. Um, I'm not sure how much I should be spoiling, but, um, you know, the bear can't die of a drug overdose 15 minutes into the film. <laughs> like, that's just, that's not going to be a good, that's not going to be a good movie. It doesn't warrant, it doesn't deliver on the promise of the premise of cocaine bear. Right. So that, uh, the initial thing that I had to tackle was like, at what what story, what time frame do we want to tell the story? And it was like, well, what if this bear actually lived um, after ingesting all this cocaine and it sort of became addicted to this cocaine and uh, went on a rampage? Um, and then in terms of the other, the other characters, I took a lot of inspiration and I'm not sure why it was kind of one of my favorite films uh, from growing up was uh, it's a mad, 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 mad world. I don't know if you're familiar yes, with it, but it was I like it, a, <laughs> a, a Stanley Kramer movie with like Buddy Hackett and Mickey Rooney and Spencer Tracy. And we and I love that that was like you have your inciting incident, a bunch of people see this guy die and right before he's right before he dies, he says that there's a whole bunch of money under the big W. And then you have all of these characters who are distinct um, and have distinct personalities go off on the run and search for this thing. And then they kind of interweave and then meet at, at this one place. And, and to me, it was like, that should be sort of how we tackle cocaine bear. But, the first objective, I guess, is like, you have to make sure that you care about these characters, um, spend enough time with them. And so you would actually care when they're in peril. And then when we do kill somebody off, that just feels like, you know, somebody needs to die at this point, make sure that that person has said something or done something that's kind of shitty, I guess. <laughs> you know? Um, and... <laughs> Liz was always on board for that, but you know, that we, if I, t if you take somebody like Alden's character and Alden is a, such a good, he's an incredible actor. Um, and, you know, establishing that he had, you know, kind of that cliche of like, your wife is dead. You have this son, you don't really know what to do. Um, and, you know, in a lot of movies, it would be like that stiff, stiff upper upper lip sort of thing where it's like, I'm going to, you know, muscle my way through it. But I thought, I always thought that it was so funny that this, like the son of a drug dealer, you know, in the midst of this like chaos, like all he, he's just crying, right? He's just so, he's just so sad. And, you know, his best friend has to drag him into this insane circumstance. And when you, you just take that character, which can be a it's movie, a, a movie in its own right, um, and then bring those two to the Chattahoochee National Forest, and then drop the cocaine bear. You're like, you know, that to me is what is most exciting about the movie. Yeah, it's so interesting because I didn't I didn't think of Mad Mad World while I was watching it, but the second you said that, I was like, oh my god, of course, like it's that structure and it's I I love that structure because there's always such a there's like an energy to it and a sense of movement and I think as well a, a really 
what was so interesting about Cocaine Bear to me is like, as you said, the real bear died 20 minutes after it ingested the cocaine, which, and it died horribly. I was reading like up a medical examiner talking about it had like heart failure and cerebral failure and renal failure, like everything failed uh, and a stroke. And like, that is awful. And yet you say a bear did cocaine and that's, it's like, it's, funny and Alden saying the bear did cocaine like is immediately for me the funniest line reading of 2023 and I was kind of coming out of the movie being like it's so it's so strange that something so awful can be so funny and I think there is a way that the movie tackles it where you are playing the joke out (laughs) while also sort of not disrespecting the actual bear um i think you kind of mentioned it before but like how were you were you worried about kind of not pushing the darkness too far or like just not just going right up to the edge but not going over it yeah i think it was always about to me it was like can we make this a revenge story for the bear you know can we rewrite the story of the bear who is just a victim in this entire thing. Um, And I think that like, in credit to uh, Liz and Lord and Miller and the team at Lord and Miller um, and Brian Duffield, the producers and kind of, and Weta also, it's like giving this bear personality, um, you know, what's the difference between just a regular black bear and our black bear who's on cocaine, how does it choose to devour people? <laughs> All those things kind of go into this, uh, you know, comedic element. And all I think everything you're talking about is just a, it's just tone, right? Um, and I think that we give this bear, um, it's, revenge story and there's a in terms of like making it too dark or too gory the script itself was really really gory um i think the movie is too um and there's a point to me when you're writing or watching something that something is so fucked up pardon my french that it becomes funny you know Mm. like it's it's so gory where you cross that line from it it hurts in your stomach to like maybe that becomes a belly laugh (laughs) (laughs) and there are so many scenes in this where uh that's what happened and then uh or that's i guess for me when watching it and when writing it that's it was like oh that's really messed up you know yeah um, I feel like I have a very strong stomach for stuff and I fully winced a couple of times <laughs> like it, I love how I love how far it goes yeah do we have like a spoiler warning on this skip ahead one minute to avoid spoilers for cocaine bear I think that like one of those one of those instances where it's like we went so far over the line was when you know, Ranger Liz, played by Margot Martindale, flies out of the ambulance <laughs> on the gurney, flips like kind of 180s and, and you know, slot power slides face first into the gravel. And 
I remember when writing that, that I was like, that is so messed up, right? <laughs> but I think that the, in, just in concert with the way that Liz shot it and who Ranger Liz was building up to that point, and then also the added element of who Margot Martindale just is as an as a incredibly serious and fantastic actor, it like leads you to kind of have to laugh a tiny bit, where it's like that is so messed up, and God, why am I laughing at this? Um, and then also feeling for the bear when the bear's just like done all this stuff, couldn't care less about the people that it's just killed in the. Uh, ambulance and it just kind of wants to go take a nap <laughs> it just makes me laugh but maybe I'm fucked up maybe I'm messed up too but you know no I mean I I laughed a lot so I'm I'm messed up too as well <laughs> if yeah. that's if that's but um I I wanted to ask because I know that the real cocaine bear is now on display at the Kentucky Fun Mall. I don't know if you... I went on the website and they have a lot of cocaine bear merchandise there. So I wondered if you had either gone on a trip to the Kentucky Fun Mall or would consider going there to, I guess, like pay pilgrimage to, I want to say, Muse, because I guess the real cocaine bear was sort of your muse. The real cocaine bear was definitely my muse. I think that there's de- there's a little bit of uh, you know possible controversy or around whether that is the real bear or not. Oh, um, the and I think I'm maybe supposed to shy away from that topic completely. But yeah, the story that I had heard was that Waylon Jennings like stuffed that bear and then gave it to that museum. <laughs> But I don't think that that I don't think that that's actually true. I think the bear was okay. Like, I think they got rid of the bear. Um, right. So, yeah, I'm not really sh- sure. You definitely did your research. Kudos to you. <laughs> I love like the continuing legend of it because I came out of this movie going, I don't know if you'd be up for this. I would like to have more cocaine animal movies because i know there's the pablo escobar's cocaine hippos which were not on cocaine but are like cocaine adjacent he had pet hippos and then they escaped and they're currently still roaming around colombia like causing havoc and there are cocaine hogs in tuscany that also found cocaine (laughs) and ate all of the cocaine um i mean would you would you consider a like a cocaine animal universe? Are there other cocaine story cocaine animal stories you'd like to to go after? Yeah, I mean the I think that there's a lot like I keep getting tagged on Twitter of like you know different animals doing different types of drugs um, that could also be in the kind of the same universe, and maybe we you know, have them all fight at the end or like the, uh, what are like the, uh, I think there were like meth gators. I think there are turtles oh that God. got into a bunch of cocaine. I think there are, <laughs> yeah, but why does this again, keep happening? <laughs> I don't know. It's almost like we should take this as a warning call, but, um, mm. the, I, yeah, I, I think that like a expanding the universe could be a, a super fun thing. 
And then when it comes to just the, I, I like the idea that we don't know where the actual bear is, you know, again, that goes back to my thing about rewriting her story um, or its story. Like, you know, maybe it, maybe it lived happily ever after. And that's, that's the type of world I want to live in. So that's the one that I'll write. Me too. Me too. I feel like that feels like such a natural conclusion. So uh, thank you so much again and congratulations. Yeah, Uh, thank you. I'm excited for other people to see Cocaine Bear. I'm so happy you like it. (laughs) Thanks so much. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. I put a little bit too familiar. No drugs were taking <laughs> during the recording of this podcast. Um, guys, I, I didn't I didn't see the film because uh, I've been quite ill this week. Um, I'm blaming Netflix, actually, because I went to their BAFTA party and it kind of broke me <laughs> for the rest of the week. So we'll go to see Cocaine Bear. No, no matter what these guys say, I have to. It'd be rude not to. But let's see what Clarice and Amon I uh, felt about the movie. Now, first things first, did you take cocaine whilst watching Cocaine Bear? <laughs> no, because I was in the Universal offices with about two other people, and I think it would have been... Are you telling me no cocaine's been done in the Universal offices? <laughs> yeah. Again, I cannot speak for what the employees of Universal are or are not doing. It's none of my business. <laughs> it's none of I... Just Alon, trying to live my life. That... Did you get your dealer to deliver? <laughs> There were some gummy bears that the PR put on uh, in the multimedia screening that I took a bag of, uh, took it to my seat. Whether or not they were laced with cocaine, I cannot say, but they tasted very nice. Should have at least been CBD. (laughs) Someone should have been able to get like a little bit of a natural high from the gummies at the very least. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What was the thing they used to do? There was this thing they used to do at uni. It was like this like snuff. Do you have a snuff? Like the you old, just, tiny, just, just not in the university, like eighteenth century drug. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, madness. Yeah. <laughs> well, they really need to get going. They need some opium down there. <laughs> anyway, oh enough drug chat. Let's talk about this bloody bear. I, I'm interested to know. I kind of want to talk about Elizabeth Banks actually because I feel like she's had some ups and downs really as a director. I wasn't a massive fan of Charlie's Angels, but she directed like Pitch Perfect three. Mm. I want to say. Two, Pitch Perfect 2, which was mm. fun. Um, I suppose, how do you feel like she kind of brought this mad, rad tag bunch of players together, Clarice? I think she did an interview with Variety about this. And she was talking about, you know, after she made Charlie's Angels, there was that awful uh, period of time where, you know, there was the question of, are they going to put her in director jail? Which they do with, you know any woman director after the smallest flop they're like you're never gonna work again Mm. um so i i kind of consider cocaine bear almost elizabeth banks is like you know like her revenge story it's like no but like revenge because it's both the bear is taking revenge that's like a big part of the film is that the bear's like fuck you humanity for the drug culture (laughs) and also it feels like elizabeth bank kind of going well fuck you i'm gonna make the movie that i want to make and it's very distinctive and there is a vision to it and it's not like the movies she's made before it's really gory and it's adult and there's nothing like ip franchise friendly about it um 
Do I like you say that though? <laughs> well, then yeah, cocaine bed too. We'll see. <laughs> we'll cocaine see. bison. <laughs> but you know, I I thought it was cool. I thought it was a cool move from her, and I'm really like, yeah, Elizabeth Banks, you make cocaine bed. I'm proud of you. <laughs> now, I think. I mean, look. As I said, we know. I'm not a massive fan of trailers, but I wasn't going to not watch this trailer. <laughs> but, well, also, I got I was forced to watch this trailer when I went to see a movie the other week um, because I was sat down to watch Magic Mike's Last Dance and then they played the Cocaine Bear trailer. And uh, it, what I found a bit frustrating about it was just how much how much of the kills we see. Mm. Now, Mon, like, as someone who does like trailers and is a trailer <laughs> co- connoisseur... Oh, I thank you. Uh, trailer sommelier. I'm to add this to my Twitter bio. This is good. Aficionado. <laughs> all of the, all of the, all of the expert ones. Um, wh- did it kind of hold up when it came to like freshness? Did it feel like you were seeing more than just what's in this trailer? And did it kind of lose the bite? It felt like we were seeing more than what was in the trailer. Whether that more was better than what was revealed in the trailer, that was a little bit uh, lesser than what I'd hoped for. Uh, shall we say? Uh, because the trailer did reveal, like, the, there's a big sort of sequence with uh, an ambulance and its workers. And there are a couple, some of the best bits of that were revealed in the trailer. But that is where the film peaks in terms of gore and just in terms of quality, I think, uh, when it came, when it comes to understanding the assignment of the title. Uh, that sequence is phenomenal. And I watched this in a big multimedia. I could have watched it with Clarice on Monday at the sort of national press show, there's like you know, 30, 40 critics in the smallest screening room. But this was like a multimedia, big crowd, popcorn, etc. energy. And I'm glad I did that because if you go to this film with a really up for it crowd behind you, as I did, it's a really fun time. I had a really fun time. Hmm. And I think character-wise, there's a lot of um, interesting, eccentric characters. Um, Clarice, this is your opportunity to get your <laughs> other Aaron mic on. Uh, let me just start um, the timers please. here. You can talk about other characters, but I just know that you really want to, I want to give you this space. <laughs> to talk really about how it. Alden is the great, unappreciated com- comedic talent of our times. <laughs> yes, I would like to say that. <laughs> Uh, was he in Logan Lucky? Why do I think he's he in Logan Lucky? No. He should have been, uh, though. Yeah. He should have been. You would have fit that movie like a glove. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say, I think a really key ingredient to why Cocaine Bear works is that it engages with the concept like wholeheartedly and thoroughly because it's not, it's not really a, like a comedy comedy. In, in the traditional sense, which I think is maybe what the trailers sort of sold a little bit. Um, this really felt a hundred percent like the kind of like B movie horror thing you'd have on VHS and you'd find it in a basement. <laughs> and then you'd like discover it. And it's like, Oh my God, this is gold. Cause those movies are like this. I often find yeah. are a, an exact combination of like horrific murder, <laughs> like really gory shit. But then the characters are quite sincere, and there's often Deep something Lucy quite lovable. Is a perfect example of that. That's a great like you kind of love the characters, and they're very distinctly drawn, and they have arcs to them and personalities. And so all the characters here, what I appreciate is that you know 
they're not just they're not just people to be killed. There's you know yeah. the mom lo- looking for her daughter. There is Ozadarite's character is like this <laughs> the guy who's just like too depressed to be dealing with a cocaine bear, which I found really relatable. <laughs> He's just like, I don't have time for this, <laughs> which I thought was a great energy to add into it. And then you have Ray Liotta, which I think is. I, I don't think this is his last movie. I think he had shot a few other ones that are going to be coming out. But as one of his last films, I think it's quite sweet that he's basically basically playing Henry Hill if he were in the 80s and looking for a cocaine bear. Um, and it's just... I It's like a nice tribute to his legacy, I guess, in such a weird way. But I, I liked it. Um yeah, it's really, re- and O'Shea Jackson Jr. is very funny as well. He's kind of playing uh, Alden's friend who gets dragged along to look for the cocaine. And again, it's just like doesn't really have time for cocaine bears. O'Shea Jackson Jr. His character, I don't think I've ever felt as deeply sad for a person going through it fashion-wise as I do in this film. He starts off this movie with a clean fit and it looks great. And over the course of the movie, it just gets destroyed. And I felt it in my bones. There's a, like, right, I think it's like his first scene where he steps in this, uh, into some some gunk or whatever, and it gets stuck to his shoe. And this shoe looks so great. And I immediately was like, oh, damn, those shoes look clean. (laughs) <laughs> and it's not clean anymore and it just gets progressively worse as the film goes on really great com- comedic film. I enjoyed that mm, great costumes and I suppose the final <laughs> uh, final thing is let's talk about the bear how good did the bear look was it good CGI I think it was I assume they didn't use a real bear <laughs> people would be on that if they did they'll never tell us um, yeah no I think it was good for the most part um, you know just realistic enough to make you care and to have you sort of react to the jump scares in the moment and you know me uh i always react to jump scares and there are a few that that got me um <laughs> so yeah and it does feel impactful when he's ripping people when he when she is ripping people uh to shreds feminist icon cocaine bear. <laughs> yes indeed um so yeah uh i thought they did a good job for the most part in that regard I, I, I kind of wish we'd had some practical bear stuff because I think it was all CGI, right? I didn't see way. any practical effects. Yeah. I think the movie could have done with... I know they couldn't do everything with a, like mm. a practical puppet, but I think that would have really added to mm. the like yeah. <laughs> the 80s feel of it because it was so 80s, yeah. except for the fact it was very obviously CGI. Yeah. There's one bit like... You... <laughs> Did someone punch the bear in the face, though? That's all I want to know. <laughs> no. Regrettably, something no. better happens though. Something funnier happens. <laughs> Gerard Butler was not in the film, so no. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> There's one bit where, let's say, the bear is on one tree and then decides to climb up another tree, which could only have been accomplished with CGI and is very funny. And I did have a good time with that. But <laughs> there's one thing I actually want to add because even with all of that stuff, my funniest moment, and Chris, you're going to love this, my, my biggest laugh out loud moment in this film was actually a, a moment that I owe to Alden Ehrenreich. Um, and 
there's a there's... yeah because he had the best line <laughs> delivery of the movie because he's the funniest he does he, he does have you know the, the line i wish they they didn't put this in the trailer because they did put it in the trailer but it's a, it's a really great line very well delivered but it's not even that moment it's the line in his i think first scene when he's eating pasta that line slayed me <laughs> Because, like, I remember looking at his pastor and thinking exactly what he ends up saying. And then he says it, and it's so funny. Um, yeah, you'll, you'll know exactly what I yeah. mean when you see the poem, but it's fantastic. It's also his response to when they ask, how do you know the bear's a girl? <laughs> what he says after. That yeah. was the line yeah. that really got me. Yeah. There's a really good lines in this. All hell, all the air, like. <laughs> Well, on that note, um, Clarice, screen, stream, or skip? Screen. I'm going to see it again this weekend. I'm taking my friend because I was like, do you want to see a movie called Cocaine Bear? The bear's on cocaine. And she said, yes. <laughs> are, we, are we on cocaine, though? <laughs> I'm on? It's a screen. Go with a big up for it crowd. Have a blast. Okay. Well, that is a screen from the Fate of Black podcast. Uh, now we're going from uh, from a broken bear to some brokers with babies. With a baby, actually. just It's just the one. It's broker. What becomes of the broken hearted who have loved us now departed? Ha Sang Hyun is the owner of a hand laundry and volunteers at the nearby church where his friend Dong Su works. The two run an illegal business together. Sang Hyun occasionally steals babies from the church's baby box with Dong Su, who deletes the church's surveillance footage that shows a baby was left there. They sell the babies on the adoption black market. But when a young mother, So Young, comes back after having abandoned her baby, she discovers them and decides to go with them on a road trip to interview the baby's potential parents. Meanwhile, two detectives, Su Jin and Lee, are on their trail. Broker was written and directed by Hirozaku Koyida and stars Bei Duna, Gang Dong Won, Lee Julian, and Song Kang Ho, who won the Best Actor Award at this year's Cannes Film Festival. Uh, so I have regrettably not seen Broker. Where to start with this one? The setup sounds completely wild. <laughs> uh, how is this film paced? How long does it take to really get into the body of what the plot is? Um, it feels like there's a few stages to that, just reading the synopsis, Clarice. Well, I feel like if you've seen, seen Shoplifters or um, was it like Father Like Son, I think is the name of the... Some of the he, like oh, the thing... very good. Um, yeah, and the, and the thing with Corita is that he sort of is like, he just takes his time. He's like, he's going to do it at his own pace, and you will be watching and you will be gripped <laughs> all the way through. Um, but it feels like every single one of his films is, is that 
it it develops around you as opposed to you experiencing it. Like I always find that it's only until about halfway through the movie that I realized how profoundly invested I've become and how like overwhelmed with emotion I am. Mm. I feel like it happens every single time I watch one of his movies. I'm like for an hour I'm being like, yeah, this is nice. And I'm like, ah, (laughs) in the second hour. Mm. And I feel like broker is, is no different. So that like that plot, it sounds like there's a lot of incident in it. Right. Mm. But you don't really notice the incident happening. It's like, you've only sort of noticed it when it's already happened and you're sobbing your eyes out for whatever reason. Mm. That similar thing for you, Hannah. You know, things are happening and that gets into emotion, but you kind of peel back the layers of like, okay, what's the motivation? What are people hiding? What have people been through? And slowly it kind of marinates and you kind of understand like, you know, from the mother who gives her child away, there's it's, it reveals itself at a very slow pace. So actually by the time you realize what's happening, you're kind of like, oh, yeah. I get you, girl. Because again, it's like, again, it's interesting, like saint Omer, you know, leaving your child, a mother who leaves its child or is it's kind of, is, you know, it's not the same as killing your child, but it's also you're leaving your child. You say you're going to come back, but that's the worst thing a woman can do, you know. And in so many ways, it, it has characters who try to suggest that that is bad. But actually what I like about, like, Breed is the way he works is that he's never about punishing people. He's not here to kind of past judgment if anything he's trying to understand people's motivations and people's um people's emotional kind of like where they are emotionally in certain situations that might give rise to certain scenarios playing out in the way that they do um and i think there's a lot of compassion in this film so so yeah i do think it was maybe could have been a little bit shorter um and i don't know if that's because i was watching it at home rather than on uh, in the uh, cinema uh in the screen um, I do think there is something about watching at home that can sometimes, um, especially with um, subtitle things, and it's not to say that you, you love subtitles, yeah, but I think when you're on your own watching it, like in an afternoon mm. <laughs> on your TV, it's kind of different. And also I've been ill this week. <laughs> so <laughs> I think, but I, but so maybe that's ha- ill Hannah talking about it being a bit overlong. Mm. But um, yeah, I think it's, I really like The Truth, which was his like recent last film that he did. That was Catherine Deneuve and Juliette Binoche. And again, that's getting into kind of really fat, like these familial characters where, you know, these bonds and the kind of the tension between them, but also kind of, I don't know, in the end, it's kind of just like beautiful. It's all about love, I suppose. Mm. Um, It feels like, you know, part of this is a a road trip movie. Um, And Hannah, you mentioned that word there, bonds. How did you feel that dynamic worked between these characters who embark on this journey? And you know, did, did that work for you? Yeah, because there's a lack of, I think there's like, um, I don't know what you think, Clues, but I think what I love about it is just like how much like the mother um, played by Song Kang-ho. Oh, no, that's yeah. the guy. You want best actor. Is it Lee, uh, Lee Jion? Who is a K-pop Lee star. Oh, cool. Yeah. Lee Jion. Mm. And I love it. What I love about her as a character is that she's so icy and just quite, and you, 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 at first you think, oh, and again, it's that kind of, she's dealing with these kind of two slightly, not bumbling, but like these two men and she's very sure of herself and she's very kind of like guarded. That's guarded is probably the best word, word. But I love that these road trips, not only kind of each time I do a sh- sh- 
do a stop. They present something new about their personalities. Like there's this, and it also just kind of the ridiculousness of the situation. There's a great scene where they're, um, where they meet the first potential like adoptee, like adopters, um, of the baby. And they're like going, he's got, uh, did you Photoshop the eyebrows? <laughs> like, did you Photoshop the baby's eyebrows? And she's like having to listen to this couple basically saying that baby's not worth this. It's like, this is my fucking mm. kid. This is my kid you're talking, this is the baby you're talking about. The kind of ridiculous, and then you see what she's like, that she is that woman who's protected. She's like, fuck you, man. And I was like, yes, I love that. Because why should you have to sit there and do this? Like, if you want a baby, any baby should be great, right? You know what I mean? And, but then it also cuts in the dark. It's like, I hope it's not a, it's not a child of rape, is it? And it's just like, just human beings are awful. Mm. <laughs> and I think, but it does, it grabs it in a way that feels like a very, like, like with the reactions to it, I really got that character. And then, of course, as it goes along, it becomes, you realise, like, how this baby did come about. And I and also, I understand why, sorry, I spoke for a while here, but I can totally understand uh, why Song Kang Ho um, won Best Actor. Because there's something really, like, like, I just wanted him to give me a hug. Mm -hmm. He just seemed like a guy who's just, I don't know, it's, it's hard to compare, but he's like, it's kind of like a Steve Martin. Do you know what I mean? That kind of, like, just, oh, he's like a, he's, he's got himself in a bit of a mess and he's trying to get himself out of it. But he's also, you know, again, he's like trying to sell babies, but he's also trying to get him to a better family because the orphanage system. So it's like, again, mm. everyone's morals are kind of slightly iffy, but they bring so much like heart and nuance mm. to these like characters that it's hard not to see. I don't know, fall in love yeah. with them. Yeah. I'm very happy for Song Kang Ho. Uh, I loved, loved, loved his performance in Parasite. Um, so it's really cool to see him getting some flowers Greece, was there any other performance that really stood out to you? I would say um, Bay Duna, who is one of the detectives, because, I mean, this is true of all the characters, and I feel like this happens a lot in his movies, is that, like, you are immediately presented with, um, superficially, what should be, like, a squad of just, like, very immoral and unlikable people. It's like, two uh human traffickers and yet a woman who leaves her baby not in the baby box like outside on the porch next to the baby box and then you have like the two detectives who at first especially Beiduna's character um seem to be incredibly judgmental about this situation which I guess is like what maybe the audience are meant to feel like at first and then as you learn about everybody's lives you you understand where they're coming from and you see all these sides to them and this complexity and it's like, oh, oh my God, human nature. Like, <laughs> we have so many layers in us. Mm. And I I think her performance as like a version of that really struck me because like she's so cold at the beginning, but very slowly by the end. Like you really start to fall in love with her and I loved her by the end of the movie. And there's sort of like, there's something quite wry and funny about her as well. And I, yeah, I don't know. I just really liked that character. It's very funny, this yeah. film. Really funny, like sharp, like like sharp funny, like catch you off guard kind of funny okay. moments. Um Okay. Okay, I'm liking what I'm hearing. I'm liking what I'm hearing. Uh, and on that note, let's go to our screen, stream, or skip recommendations on Hirozaku Kawaii's latest broker, Clarice. Screen. Hannah Flint. Yeah, I'm going to say screen. And don't watch it when you're ill at home. <laughs> yeah. Maybe like, you can. Maybe you're better than Don't me. double bill it with cocaine bear, because that's a really weird <laughs> double bill. <laughs> 
go two separate days. I know that's two trips to the cinema, mm-hmm. but two se- I don't know. Two out of two screens. Can we make it a hat trick as we go from arranged adoptions to arranged marriages with What's Love Got to Do With It? Bye. Bye. Yeah. Ah, alaikum salam, Auntie Aisha. <laughs> what? She still can't say it. Assalamu alaikum, Aisha. There you go. Oh, that's exactly what I just said. Oh, is that grinder? Is there anyone we should meet? No. I'm getting married. You are? He's the lucky lady. I don't know yet. What do you mean? I'm getting an arranged marriage. Well, assisted marriage. That's what we're calling it these days. Dare I ask, what about love? You grow to love the person you're with. What, like Stockholm Syndrome? What's love got to do with it, got to do with it? What's love but a second-hand emotion? Sing it to you. that song. Whole things are happening, I can be broken. Jazz. Um, I was like jazz when I'm playing saxophone, because obviously jazz and saxophone are synonymous. That is top three <laughs> Tina Turner, I would say. I'm trying to think about what my other two would be. Proud Mary and Simply the Best. There you go. Or Private yeah, Dancer, like, Private Dancer. You're also Private Dancer. Dancer from my <laughs> Oh, we will need to go karaoke. You guess who? Guess who did the? Guess who did the thing? <laughs> Angela Bassett. Tina <laughs> <That's Peter> Turner. <laughs> and, and you did the thing. <laughs> oh, dear. More of that yeah. later. <laughs> so this is. I know it sounds like it's going to be, but it's not a biopic of Tina Turner. This <laughs> is a rom com about different things. Though there is exactly the biopic. It's cool. What's love got to do with it? Isn't is it? it? Yeah, it is. Isn't wow. It? Yeah, but this is not that movie. It's not that movie, it's a different one. (laughs) How do you find lasting love in today's world? For documentary maker and dating app addict Zoe, Swiping Right has only delivered an endless stream of Mr. Wrongs to her eccentric mother, Kath's dismay. I mean, her mother's just kind of more racist than eccentric, but there we go. Mm -hmm. For Zoe's childhood friend and neighbor, Kaz, the answer is to follow his parents' example and opt for an arranged or assisted marriage to a bright and beautiful bride in Pakistan. As Zoe films his hopeful journey from London to Lahore to marry a stranger, chosen by his parents, she begins to wonder if she might have something to learn from a profoundly different approach to finding love. Directed by Shekhar Kapoor, with a screenplay by Jemima Khan, it stars Lily James, Shazad Latif, Shabana Amzi, Emma Thompson, Sajjah Ali, Oliver Chris, Asim Chowdhury, Jeff Mirza, Alice Or Ewing and Rahat Fateh Ali Khan. And Rahat Fateh Ali Khan. Um, so I guess I, I think what's immediately striking about this movie is that certainly the aim with it is to, to bring kind of traditional rom-com structure, but then like add a new twist to it by having this central culture clash between like the, the, western i guess british idea of of dating apps and then also the assisted marriage side from pakistan um i mean hannah did like where in where in that like scale of things did it feel like did it feel very like a old-fashioned rom-com or did it feel new i think you know what the thing about it is that of course this kind of culture in like this culture interracial sort of situation romance it's not exactly new considering we've had like bride and prejudice you know we've had films that have grappled with the subject before 
Um, I think there's elements of this where it feels fresh and modern and actually I thought it was quite funny where they get the millennial kind of dating culture and also through the through the characters are quite like I do think the character Lily James play I actually really enjoyed that character for being kind of um somewhat of you know she she gets out and about she sags about she's kind of lives on a boat she wants to do her work and she kind of doesn't really understand a lot of things and she has this really and really frustrating relationship with her mother <laughs> and I was like oh I get it I, I know that I know that girl <laughs> I know that girl I think I think the problem is and it's the same way when we get to cat person I sometimes think like this is someone who is not who is writing about something they're not currently in you know what I mean and I'm not saying older people can't because I think Jemima Khan's like 40s 50s and this feels like a Richard Curtis thing that would be written 20 years ago 20 30 years ago rather than if someone maybe a bit maybe someone who is actually going for it now rather than so there's certain notes of it that do hit like that kind of I mean I know they make jokes about it don't they of like you know what is it love contractually they make a joke Mm -hmm. about and stuff like that and hints at it but and it's very knowing it knows about the rom-coms it's make it's like a, like in a way I appreciate that it tries to include that in the narrative, but I do think there's something that feels there seems to be like a a gap. Do you know what I mean? Which is not quite filled in this kind of having to fit a formula of what a rom com is supposed to do, and that's where I feel like as much as I enjoyed certain parts of the journey, and I don't want to give it away, but certainly the ending, I felt like oh, this is you having to conform to rom com formulas by ensuring there's like a. I mean, I feel like I'm not giving, you know, like a romantic happy ending, mm-hmm. right? And I felt like I wish it would have been a film that actually said, maybe this doesn't have to happen. Maybe it can be a happy ending, but it doesn't have to end with the romance, you know? And that's where I was, and that's kind of, mm, that kind of did me just, but one thing I do appreciate about Jemima Khan doing it, you know, she's a woman who has been, was in a marriage, was in a marriage with someone who is Pakistani Muslim. This is not a culture that she's not just, she doesn't know about. It's something that she's quite, aware of so it's not like she's coming from just a white person come in and she knows it very well and I do think a lot of the I mean as much as I can know about the Pakistani Muslim culture like I do feel like they handled certain the cultural elements of it pretty well and actually was quite funny and actually again showing modernity towards it to not just position the the non the non-white characters as sort of like kind of archaic backwards actually the most problematic person in the film is Emma Thompson mm-hmm. <laughs> by a considerable distance as well um yeah I, I yeah I kind of I agree with you I mean I felt like my my one sort of more critical takeaway is that I I felt like at the end of the movie I didn't really understand the movie's position on the things that it brought up which maybe was the point of it was to just offer questions and not answer them but um I wondered if that had to do partially with the our, our two leads. I mean, Amon, what did you think of like the chemistry and the pairing and the writing of Zoe and Kaz? Yeah, I thought the chemistry was fine. It was serviceable. It wasn't sweeping me off my feet, to use a romantic term. Um, yeah. I didn't sort of feel that way about it. And I put that more down to the writing than the acting because they, we don't really get to feel that romance as much as we want to, because the screenplay doesn't really put them 
in position to succeed in in that way. Um, and that's frustrating because they're likable enough together, but that pivot towards romantic convention that you were talking about, Hannah, it feels like a pivot that's not quite earned, even though you know from the get-go that that is where they want to head. This is my issue of yesterday. <laughs> it didn't, it, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's, you're so right. It just like, it. the thing about Lily and Shazad is that they're best friends in real life. Mm. They're, they're, you can see that coming through. You can tell they're best friends. They know how to play best friends. But there wasn't enough moments in the script to establish a romantic relationship or like a chemistry, romantic chemistry beyond a platonic chemistry, which they had in abundance. You can tell it was so easy. Some of the moments like offhand and stuff, you can tell all oh, these people are mm-hmm. friends. But that's the problem. And yesterday they did that as well. They didn't like it, I felt like what annoyed me about yesterday was that obviously Lily again in this one where with Himesh and they didn't. Well, one, they didn't set him up as a, any as a romantic object at all because he doesn't have anybody that he's dated pre prior. So it's like. Okay, does it, it was quite a character was written quite asexually, but there wasn't enough to establish. Okay, if you're going to give up the being a superstar because you want to be with your best mate, okay, but where's the romance in it? Where's those moments? And I think that's what it was lacking. And this is why the this is why I was thought that the ending was going to be so different. Yeah, a hundred. It had none of those like, you know, those like near kisses, mm-hmm. like you know, Pride and Prejudice hand clench moments, which you don't need many, but you need like one or two, mm-hmm. just to establish that there is sexual chemistry between these two people. Um, instead of, I think, like sometimes a rom coms just go, well, they're two both very attractive people. Of course, they're gonna get together. Like mm-hmm. they kind of just leave it to the audience to make the assumption, which I'm like. But great example of the best friend one is thirteen going on thirty, where yes. she doesn't realize that she likes him, but then they have that thing in the in the in the game. They have a kiss when they're younger, and then it's like, oh, Maddie, and then she's like, oh no, they have all these moments. It's like, oh, there's like moments where it seems like moments. they're gonna kiss, but then they don't. And you're like, Ugh. but and yes. there's, I don't think there's a single moment like that in this movie until maybe until the very end i saw this quite a while until ago too but late I was, yeah i remember being like what you could kiss like do a handhold something not there's not even like a moment where she puts her head on his shoulder or something mm-hmm. like yeah. Yeah, yeah um but Amon, i mean do you want to talk to some of the the supporting characters did did anyone stand out to you in like good or bad ways <laughs> Uh, I mean, we talked about Emma Thompson a little bit. Uh, not her best role, um, shall we say. Emma! <laughs> yeah. What annoys me about that role... Sorry, go no, on. Don't. Sorry, I keep it... I just have so many feelings about this movie because I love rom-coms. Yeah. And so for me, it's like, there's so much here. Mm. It could have been great. It could have been a really great romantic comedy, but it just missed it. And what annoying me about Emma is like, your best, your next door neighbours for 30 fucking years have been this very cultural Pakistan Muslim family and you're still being racist. <laughs> like after 30 years, you're still seeing racist shit, problematic stuff. And that's what annoyed me. It's like, where's her fucking growth? Yeah. <laughs> it just didn't ring true to me. Surely some one of them would have said something by now. And Lily, you know, the character she plays, she does call her out on shit. So it's like, she just doesn't listen. Yeah. She's an awful person. I mean- that's believable. Some people just don't listen. <laughs> yeah. True. Maybe maybe that's right. Maybe that's why she's too real yeah. for some people. Maybe she's a specific person that's been based on. <laughs> um, but in terms of good standout, I really liked uh, Shabana Azmi as uh, the other matriarch uh, of, of this film. Uh, she 
is a stickler for tradition, but she's also trying to sort of, you know, modernize and understand where the new breed, new dating lifestyle, et cetera, that, that side of things as well. And so it's a clash for her to try and figure that out uh, because she wants to be the best mother for her son. And I like that. I thought she performed that really well. So, so yeah. I really like Asim Chowdhury because I think he just makes everything funnier. <laughs> I think he's great as the kind of like assisted marriage advisor. Mm. Um, I thought he was great in those moments. I think I could have done without the um, when Harry met Sarah, Sally uh, interviews. Yeah, yeah. But of course, they're setting up. Also, there's a bit where they're at. Maybe <laughs> one of those things that annoys me about when you have films set in London, they just get it the geography wrong. Mm. They have the screening at Curzon Mayfair, and then she goes outside, and suddenly she's on. The <laughs> yeah, um, I, I I didn't mind the when Harry met Sally thing. I think the thing that really didn't work was the uh, my escapades as fairy tales thing that they do repeatedly throughout the movie. I'm not sure it needed that narrative device to. I will say kudos for Lily James uh, to play a character like this, you know, a lot of the time, if you look at her, even recent times, you look at something like Pam and Tommy, it's very much a male fantasy type of woman that she's playing. Here, it's more like a reality in in a certain, to a certain degree, is what you're saying. You, you, you have not watched enough of Lily James' stuff <laughs> yesterday. I mean, Cinderella, Baby the Driver. What is it? The Potato Peel and Literary, what is it called? The potato, what is it called? The Literary and Potato Pie Society, Guernsey Potato Pie Society. I've not seen that. Well, I mean. Cinderella. No, with, with Michelle Hussman. That was great. Okay. Rebecca. I didn't see Rebecca though. We don't talk She's about She's done a lot. Either. I feel like she does. She did Downton Abbey. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like, I feel like Pam and Tommy is the only one where she's been truly sexualized. Baby like, driver really, a little bit. Really, Maybe. No, but that, she's like the girl next door, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I retract my statement. There. I thought Pam and Tommy was the one that really pushed her away from being seen as the kind of like good English, you know, the kind of English road good girl type mm. of thing. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think she's got very, she's very charming, I think, as an actress. I think Shahad is, I think that he's very charming as an actor. Um, it's a charming movie, but just doesn't quite stick the landing, I think, mm. maybe. Well, I think that brings us nicely to our screen stream or skip for What's Love Got to Do With It? What's Love <laughs> Got to no, Not sing it. Does the song play in the movie? It does I not. I remember now. That is the biggest crime. Forgot to mention that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it does not. Honestly, probably that, a um, rights issue. That that title that you said earlier was it lost in lost contractually something uh, that that would love yeah, contractually. That would be a better title for this. Surely, I like that. Yeah, but they didn't want. They obviously didn't want to connect it to love actually. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. Amon, screen, stream or skip? Stream. Hannah. I'm going to say stream because I think it could be a nice like Sunday afternoon movie. I will add another stream. Here you go. No skips this week. This is good. This is good. Well, from sh- sh- stray affections to strays. I don't know what this movie's about. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's the strays. <laughs> Welcome to our home. 
isn't it? And you're practically one of us. Practically. Rose. Morning, Miss Williams. Um, are you alright? I'm fine, I'm fine. Baby, if you've got to go away, don't think I can take the pain. Want you stray another day, stray another, stray another, stray another. Oh, gosh, what a classic. Uh, a light-skinned black woman's meticulously crafted life of privilege starts to unravel when two strangers show up in her quaint suburban town. This is directed and written by Nathaniel Martello-White, and it stars Bookie Backway, Jordan Myrie, Samuel Small, Maria Almeida, Justin Salinger, and Ashley Medeque, who I got to speak to uh, earlier this week. It was a really fun, interesting chat about the themes of the movie, about why her first thought when she read the script was actually fear, not excitement. That was interesting to get into. Uh, we get into one of the funnier aspects of this film as well. Uh, <laughs> and I also, you know, as I told Clarice and Hannah before, there's a difference between food that's prepared by white people and food that's prepared by black people. And we get into that a little bit as well. It's a little bit funny. And we actually spoke to each other the day after the BAFTAs. Uh, so we got into that a little bit as well. And her take on that was pretty interesting too. So here's my chat with Ashley Medekwe. Enjoy. When you were reading this script for the first time, when did it go from, hmm, this is interesting, to, okay, I have to be the person to play this role for you? Um, well, my first response was fear. I was terrified by the mm -hmm. idea of playing the role. It felt really daunting to me. And <laughs> um, I just didn't think anyone would trust me with it, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, I was excited when I was given the chance. Mm. Interesting. Why Why fear? Why was that the... She's the just one? so incredibly complex. There are so many layers to her. And um, I just, it's, I like, I still suffer from imposter syndrome myself. So I was like, really? They're going to, me? I'm going to play this? Okay, great. Sure. <laughs> when you were on set, when you were in it, was there a day when things clicked and you did feel more comfortable? Yeah, um, I think once once we got the ball rolling, I mean, we had rehearsals, I worked privately as well by myself. Like, once we got the ball rolling, like, I knew her. I really knew her. I knew what made her tick. Um, yeah. If she was, like, getting into an uncomfortable bath every day. Mm, interesting. So once you booked that role, what did you do to prepare to make sure that you knew every facet about? Backstory. Like backstory mm. is really important with her because you've got to find the whys because she makes some choices that I necess wouldn't necessarily make myself as a woman. Um, so finding the backstory, working with that and working with Nathaniel to create a backstory that makes sense. That so you've got to give her reasons for being because nobody's all good, nobody's all bad. We all have, yeah, yeah we have the things that drive us. Absolutely. Um, I know that... Uh, Nathaniel and the other filmmakers were inspired by a couple of films when they were putting this together. Get Out, Rosemary's Baby. Did you rewatch any of them or any other movies to help you prepare yeah. and get ready to dive into this? I did. It's nice to have like a shared um, language with the director. So whatever his inspirations are, I always make an effort to watch those so that you can like share in it and see where his vision's coming from. Um, also, yeah. Michael ha Michael Haneke was also a very strong inspiration for Nathaniel. So I watched both versions of Funny Games. 
Okay. Both terrible. What were your takeaways from some of these films and how they related to this film? Um, I think it's interesting to watch how the characters react to um, horror. With Rosemary's Baby, it's almost like you wonder if she's if it's if it's really happening. And I think that happens in the first act of this film. How much of it is is reality and how much of it is in Neve's head? So the characters mm. are almost being gaslit, and the audience is always being gaslit as well. Mm, that's interesting. I like that. Um, when I've interviewed other actors in the past, they've talked about always being on their character's side, mm -hmm. uh, no matter what. Is that something that you believe in as well? And was that easier or harder to do in a role like this? I think you have to be because, you know, you are the person. Nobody goes through life thinking, God, I'm such a dick. You just don't do that. You have to, you have to back yourself. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, that's what it goes back to backstory. You have to find the reasons why, um, even if they mm -hmm. wouldn't necessarily be your choices, they are the choices the characters made and you have to find a way to get there. Sometimes you have to work backwards mm -hmm. almost. You know what the end of the equation is and you just got to mm -hmm. find the components to get there. Yeah. Is that trickier when you're an actor? Because, I mean, I'm guessing, correct me if I'm wrong, but you filmed this out of sequence. Mm -hmm. So keeping track of where Neve is in her mental state, was that especially tricky on a film like this, which is so complex, as you said? Yeah, it's part of the preparation for sure. You have to make sure mm -hmm. you know your emotional journey backwards and forwards. And mm -hmm. you have to almost have a shorthand to key into that scene and make sure you can hit those emotional high points from any point yeah. in the story, um, which was one thing that was helpful was that the final act, that was practically the last thing we shot. I say practically, because I oh. had two days of um, just stuff by myself afterwards, but as a group, mm. it was the last thing we shot. And I think that was really helpful because it felt like a big um, culmination of all the work we've done thus far. Mm. Was there any other scene that you had earmarked uh, on a certain day? Like, okay, this is a big one. I need to make sure that I'm ready for, for, for this scene, for this sequence. Um, do you know what the, the fortunate and unfortunate thing about Neve's journey is that there were kind of no small scenes, there were no easy mm. days, but some things that I guess were were daunting with the idea of the the party because that meant a lot to her as a character and it was a big emotional explosion for everybody in the scene and then also the mm. diner scene when she's finally confronted with her children and she's um she's having frank conversations with them. I thought that was a really important scene as well. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Um, Neve is impressively chameleonic, I think that's what I call it. Cheryl is really buried very, mm -hmm. very, very deep. And there are many different ways and methods to acting. Do you recognize any part of yourself in the characters you play or is your goal when you're acting to fully bury that and inhabit those roles in totality? I think it's a mix of both. I always try to find the truth in the character. So sometimes I'll find substitutions from my own life or I'll endow things from my own life because you just want to make it as realistic to you as possible. Um, that being said, you also want to create create a fully fleshed character. I think it's a, a balancing act between the two. I think it's different for every actor, but I like to start from mm. truth and then work from there. Mm. One of the few laughs I got watching this film, because this has been very heavy, very horror, but one thing that did make me laugh, <laughs> I wanted to run this by you. Um, when Neve's friend is like, my husband is always complaining about my boiled chicken. That's hilarious. Line. You laugh, of course been... you laughed. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it reminded me of that SNL episode with the great Chadwick Boseman, where he's on that show and he's like, I sense this white woman has not correctly seasoned her food, which is hilarious to me. And it's, it's, it's so funny, but it's also a really neat way to let you know that there are elements about Cheryl, that, that original identity that she has, that she, has, she can't get away from. Yeah, the, 
the actress playing Amanda was great. And actually, she really innocently said during that scene, she's like, I don't get it. I don't get why it's funny. And oh. I was like, <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was it was amazing. It was like such an innocent thing for her to say. And we had to explain it. And she, But she was like, quite rightly so. She's like, I don't boil my chicken. I was like, I know you don't. But sometimes we think that you do. Literally, I keep telling some of my colleagues that there's a difference between a white barbecue and a black barbecue. Hundred percent. And in, in, <laughs> I've been to barbecues put on by, you know, not that people before, and some of the stuff which you see, I'm like, do you guys know what the word barbecue means? <laughs> Whereas black barbecue, there's different types of chicken, there's jollof rice, there's different there's several different several dishes. You know what I'm saying? It's it's different. And not really any hamburgers usually. It's not really. You know what? No, really a no sandwiches, situation. no quiche, no crisps. No quiche. Just <laughs> actually, <laughs> I've had it all at the no barbecues at in the barbecue commas. picnic. It's a picnic. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it's it is. Picnic. Um, I want to get your take on this because having been sort of in this doing this for a while. I almost subconsciously acted differently myself when I was in spaces that were populated by white people. Mm -hmm. And this film does touch on that a bit. You've been in this business a while now. Have you ever found yourself doing something similar? Absolutely. Um, Nathaniel and I have similar backgrounds. We're both from South London and then we both trained at the same drama school and we spoke about that um, Mm. code switching. And we think we're, I think we're all guilty of it. There's the person you are at home with your parents, the person you are out with your friends, and then there's the person you are when you're in spaces that are populated by people that are other than you, mm-hmm. um, and and how you respond to that. And some people, some people, the people, the lucky people, I think, can really lean into themselves. And some of us shift slightly. And I've definitely been guilty of it. Mm-hmm. Have you sort of? Did you go on the journey to sort of maintain and bring yourself out more in these places? Like, <laughs> well, I think the older, myself, the older you get, the more yeah. um, seasoned you become and like the more mm. you're just like stuck in your ways. And yeah, mm-hmm. I think I'm more myself now than yeah. I was than I was as a younger woman. But I think that's true for anybody. You grow into yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm definitely a late bloomer too, so <laughs> I get it. Um, I know you've spoken before about the lack of diversity in Hollywood. We're talking to each other the day after the BAFTAs, Mm -hmm. um, which essentially had an all-white list of winners. Mm -hmm. What did you make of that? I think that we're in... uh, I don't want to be in a place where we are rewarding people purely based on the colour of their skin, um, Mm -hmm. because that's too far of a correction. And I know that, like, I don't want to speak for every person of colour, but I, I feel like that's not what we want either. We just want mm-hmm. a chance to be fairly represented. So that just means more opportunity. Um, I think this was a year where there wasn't as much opportunity for stories told from a perspective of people of colour, unfortunately. I mean, we had The Woman King, um, and that was that was a film that was included in the BAFTAs, but it hasn't, it's been completely ignored at the Oscars, which I, I thought was strange. I thought it was a really powerful film. You um, and me both. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not angry at Kate Blanchett winning for Tar because I thought that was an exceptional performance. I was blown away mm-hmm. from it. I watched it twice. I like watched mm-hmm. it and then started it again because it was like a mm-hmm. masterclass in acting for me. Yeah. Did you also, did you manage to catch Till? Um, I haven't seen I haven't seen Till I haven't seen Till but I know that she's a fantastic actress I've seen other Mm -hmm. things that she's been in Um, the thing that she was in Netflix from scratch with um, Zoe Saldana I thought was 
I mean, maybe it was just me, but I was very emotionally connected <laughs> to that. Cried throughout. Mm. No, it wasn't just me. Everyone cries watching that. <laughs> cool. Now, I think the last thing I'd seen Danielle Deadwell in before Till was The Harder Day Fall. Uh-huh. Uh, which is another next recent one. She was great in that too. Yeah, um, she's a powerhouse. So, yeah, she really is. Um, the fact that she wasn't nominated for an Oscars as well is insane to me. But what do you think uh, about how we can make that change and how we can positively progress? Because BAFTA sort of years ago, they did make a statement that we're going to try and sort of change our membership and you know, see what impact that has. But we now find ourselves back here again with it's, another BAFTA. So why? It's about the content, though, isn't it? tangible thing that you see that we can, we, we can do? It's about the content. I think that we put a lot of emphasis on um, the awards because they're very important. And I get it. You know, it furthers careers to be nominated for those things and to win those things. But really, mm. it has to start further down the line like it's about the people telling the stories the people making the decisions who's commissioning what and mm -hmm. um I think Netflix are definitely at a place where they're commissioning way more diverse storytellers I mean Fiona that's definitely part of what she's doing as you can see from Nathaniel's work in the Straits mm -hmm. absolutely um what is next for you after the Straits what do you got coming up I'm currently shooting a, a TV show for Peacock called Dr. Death. And um, although it's not a horror, it is horrifying dealing with the medical industry and seeing like how, how medical malpractices take place. I'm playing a surgeon. Now I feel like I've been to medical school. I've got to watch surgeries. <laughs> how much of that medical lingo do you actually retain? Does it all go out the window once you're done? Or? Um, no, it's a lot. I have to be honest, a lot of it, I uh, like saying things like trachea, I already knew how to say because I used to watch a lot of Grey's Anatomy. Um, <laughs> but some words I've had to be coached on because they're just words that I've mm. never heard before, never put my put my mouth around. We have a surgical yeah. consultant, a doctor on set who helps us, Dr. Scott. Okay. Thank goodness for All him. Right. <laughs> Very good. Thank you, Dr. Scott. And yeah, looking forward to seeing it. Ashley Medekwe, thank you so much for your time. It's thank you. It's good talking to you. Right. Well, that was Ashley. Um, I love Ashley. She's great. She's um, really good enough. She's that a film. great actress. Um, okay, but uh, you spoke about, you said that you spoke to her after the BAFTAs. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess it's time for some. Hot takes. BAFTA hot takes. BAFTA hot takes. Hot takes. Yes, guys. I mean, I know it was a week, a week ago, but... About a week ago. Give us a break. <laughs> give us a break. Um, but did you know that in 2016, BAFTA made it a requirement that nominated films in two categories adhere to the BFI's diversity standard, designed to establish minimum levels of participation and representation of minorities and socially disadvantaged people. In 2020, BAFTA's chairman, Krishnandu Majumda, announced an overhaul of voting and membership, setting goals for 50-50 gender balance in its membership, with 20% from minority ethnic groups, 12% disabled people, and 10% LGBTQI+ by the year 2025. Now, fast forward to 2023. The BAFTAs have ended. Guess what? <laughs> All the winners are white. What? <laughs> so, yeah, BAFTAs, hashtag BAFTAs so white. It's not that they didn't have uh, filmmakers, actors of colour up in there. Mm -hmm. Angela Bassett did the thing. <laughs> she does the thing. She yeah, always she she does that thing all the time. <laughs> Viola Davis, my woman king. <laughs> um, Michelle Yeoh, Gina Prince-Bythewood, 
the Daniels, one half the Daniels. Mm-hmm. I don't know their full names. Daniel Kwan, Daniel Kwan. Uh, then I mean, like there was there was plenty of people, mm-hmm. but alas, um, it was a white wash. I suppose what's your what's your takeaway? I know we we te- we texted, didn't we, uh, Clarice? We were texting it first, and it was interesting you didn't that text all quiet me? on the, the rest in front. It was in the it was in the group chat. Come on, you just didn't reply. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. You checked your mouth. You checked your mouth when you're talking to me. Um, <laughs> but I my takeaway was like it kind of bores me how whenever it's a film that's about World War One, World War Two, I don't even care if it's like here's a weird, but they always seem to like as soon as they get nominated, it's like that always seems to does do well. Um, uh, so you like the fact that All Quiet on the Western Front kind of threw a spanner in the works right yeah i think just in the set like when best film was announced to me it was going to be either banshees right for the baftas um it felt like it was either going to be banshees or or all quiet on the western front i don't know why i've shortened everything and i was kind of like oh it's quite interesting that the film that netflix didn't put any money behind (laughs) (laughs) Like big head, you know, they put so much money behind white noise. Um, and uh, what else was the other ones? Glass Onion, and like it was the one that just like dropped on Netflix randomly <laughs> that won all of these. But I think, like, I don't know, my take on it, and I'm maybe I'm not looking at it right, but I felt like to me. What happened at the BAFTAs was very telling of this year's award season in general. Um, because if you look at all the films that have had genuine, like, energy behind them, right? Like campaigns and, you know, winning awards at different play, Critics' Choice Awards and Golden Globes and whatever. They, they're all films made by and starring I think like entirely white casts except for everything everywhere all at once. And to me, I sorry to make a judgment of, of British people. <laughs> I was like, I don't think that film was that super popular here in general. I'm generalizing massively, mm. but it's like, it doesn't seem like British people's thing. So I was like, well, shit, if, if you don't give awards to that, and then what it was Angela Bassett was the other one of someone who was like a really serious contender that the Baptist didn't give the award to. And I guess, I don't know, um, that I had mean, the like, hard Davies. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I think so then that comes to my other point of like, why, why hasn't the woman King and Daniel Deadweiler, like, why haven't they been at the center of awards conversation? Like to me, because there's no white people. Exactly. That's that. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was like like my really like no, long about totally Dre right. to say also, like it's racism. Yeah. But that was but I think because my brain was like yeah. The Woman King is a war film. Mm-hmm. The Woman King is a war movie. Yes. And the reason why I same things I didn't get nominated for the Oscars as well is because these are two films that the only white people in it are bad guys, mm-hmm. right? And I do think that's why I say we're all quiet on the Western Front. It doesn't even matter. There's an anti-war film. There are white people to sympathize with. There are white heroes in it. Um, and I think, you know, Leila Latif wrote this really good piece for The Guardian. And Amon, I know you really enjoyed this piece as well. And you've written, you wrote something for uh, Variety, mm-hmm. was it? Yeah. yeah. And it's about, and I think there was a good point to put on, it's about the value. It's not saying these films, because of course art is subjective, but it's like they don't, there's, there's a lack of value seems to be. 
like a lack of value for the talent outside of the white pool that, you know, the majority still voters refuse to recognize or champion. Because again, after 76 years, it's insane to me that you can have an awards once a, what you can have an award ceremony with this much, with this much diversity, probably more diversity than there's ever been and still comes to conclusion that the white people are the best, best, best at making the movies. Um, Amon, please jump in. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, as somebody tweeted at Chris the other day, the solution is to make the white till. Um, I think if, if we if we get on that, then who the fuck was that guy? <laughs> Evan was like in my mentions, being like that guy again. I was like, who? Yeah, I don't know who he is. There's but he no need to even bring up his name. He has long been a Sorry. clown. If you really want to figure it out, you can. Uh, but it made it made waves for all the wrong reason on on Twitter that day. Yeah, I mean, you guys have basically said it. Um, it's been a landmark year for performances and work by women of color, especially um, many of which hasn't been nominated, but you think about everybody involved with the women King. I'm not talking about Gina. I'm not just talking about Viola. I'm talking about Lashana Lynch. I'm talking about Sheila Tim. I'm talking about Tuzo Mbedu. Uh, we you know it should, it should have been in the award conversation a lot more than it has been, but Regina Hall and Hunk for Jesus save your soul. Fantastic performance. Uh, Kiki Palmer in Nope fantastic performance like it has been a landmark year and not only that the work not only has the work been there but their awards campaigns like have been great they haven't really done like they've done everything perfectly that you can possibly do and typically <laughs> and not only that the critical uh, uh, appraisal great box office especially for the women king really really good like everything that you are supposed to do to get the rewards at the end of the process they've done the only thing that's different from them to others who have gone on to win best picture best director best actor etc is the blackness factor so there's a bias there that clearly has to be addressed and understood and whether or not the BAFTAs are going to be able to do that I just don't know anymore. Like, you know, the, the, the figures that you are reading, Hannah, they say that they want to make the changes by 2025. It's 2023. We've got this again. And the more that this continues to happen, the more the cultural relevancy of the BAFTAs gets called into question because it's, it's fallen back. It's, it's embarrassing for, for them. I could, you know, I think when Letters Peace, she, she had a great light. You can almost tell that uh, they they knew that this is going to be the discourse because of course it was going to be the discourse. It's ridiculous that all fo- that photo of all the white winners is just like come on. Um, it, and Alison, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just it sends it sends all the wrong messages, and then it's compounded by the fact that when people of color were on stage, it was to present and to entertain. It was literally all for show. Mm. And that is the I thing wanna, that just makes it even worse. I want to say some positive, because I think as much as we can say, yes, it was all white. But I do think we have to also remember that you can be white and also marginalized. Yeah, Barry Keegan. Um, I think Barry mm-hmm. Keegan winning, mm-hmm. like, even, even uh, he he deserved yeah. that. And his background, he's not, like, most of the people in that room, the people that he's up against, they're like, 
middle middle up class generational wealth come from like you know went to private schools went to rada all these type of places and, and like he had a tough he didn't have it mm-hmm. easy like literally he's the type of guy that that acting kind of saved you know what i mean that sort of situation mm-hmm. where acting was like a sa- saved him you know and so for him to win that i don't begrudge that i'm like good for him i'm so glad that he won it for a role that he deserved to win it for mm-hmm. because actually I think he's been consistently really yep. really good even though I would have liked Kei Hyun Kwan I loved it if mm-hmm. he won because he, I think he did smashed it um, and also I don't know when he's going to get that other opportunity mm-hmm. again to get a role like that mm-hmm. you know because I feel like sometimes it's that situation I mean how much do you hear of like uh, what's like Kezevani uh, Wallace right mm-hmm. where's she been Pieces since like, you know a lot mm-hmm. of these kind of yeah a lot of these actors who do you know Get not Oscar nominated. What was the what was the actress name um, uh, in Roma? Um, mm. Indigenous Mexican actress. This is the thing. She's not in enough things for me to now know her mm-hmm. name. Do you know what I mean? We know certain people's names. Mm. We constantly see. This them is why the song Kang Ho Kanswin is so big because he has not been in this phase of the way. He's only sort of gone on to do bigger things and right. and since Parasite, which is great. But he's not been nominated in any of the white. Although, also, to be fair, he's been massive in Korea for, like, years. Yeah, he's, like, massive. (laughs) Was he in, like, Lady... What was it? it, He's been in a bunch of vengeance um, and stuff. stuff. Yeah, he's been in loads. Yeah. He's good. Sandy Sandy Powell winning the first costume designer to win the fellowship. That's great. Um, Charlotte Wells, she's a queer filmmaker, made a queer movie. Mm -hmm. And After Sun is the shit. And I kind of feel arguably that like um, Banshees of Inishirin doesn't even deserve, shouldn't even win, as Martin McDonough said during his speech. Like, I know a lot of Irish people are questioning. It's like, yeah, it's not, an, it's like Belfast. It's not, an, it's, these are Irish films. <laughs> it's not best. And like, you know, and then also, you know, I know it's, I know she was hit or miss, but I like the fact that Alison Hammond was co-presenting. Yeah. I think I like the fact that Alison Hammond co-presented because she's a Brummy, black woman, plus size, like, she didn't get I annoyed me that they relegated her to the background because I did think those interviews were kind of mm-hmm. awkward because she's not allowed to I don't think she's allowed to let loose in this situation like she is on this morning like that's where it's like the ridiculousness yeah. of it um she was kind of constrained you know I think she would have been far better hosting the main bit and delivering the jokes than kind of Richard E. Grant who I love mm. but he clearly did not feel comfortable mm. no, after doing this job but like having her Brummy accent, we're so used to listening to people who sound like the six o'clock news, mm-hmm. right? And so for me, there were element elements, and I kind of, even though Ariana DeBose was that's that song was weird, it was kind of fun. Yeah. I don't, no, I mean, I, I, it was kind yeah. of great. I mean, she's so phenomenally talented, and even though that maybe didn't put her in the best position to sort of succeed, I thought she did a really great job. I hate that. She's gotten so much hate that she has seen fit to. Uh, How take, can anyone take, hate it? It's like, camp. It she's, makes she's memes. Taken a, she's <laughs> she's taken herself off off of Twitter and Instagram now. I think because of the backlash, which is not great to see. Um, but yeah, I'm still such a fan of hers. I think she's incredible. Mm. I mean, no lies detected. Angie did the thing. <laughs> my woman, Lila Davis, my woman king. I, I mean, no lies detected. <laughs> it's speaking facts. <laughs> it's spitting facts. <laughs> Bars. <laughs> if and when saw... Angela Bassett wins the Oscar, she has to say that. She has to. Yes, she, she has I to say that. <laughs> I did the thing. That's great. I saw the greatest TikTok that was like Angela Bassett did the thing, and I can prove it. 
because who played the thing in the 2005 Fantastic Four? Michael Chekles. <laughs> what show is Michael Chekles in? American Horror Story Freak Show. Who played his wife in that show? <laughs> Angela Bassett. <laughs> Angela Bassett did the thing. Case closed. See, Your I, Honor. <laughs> I, I love that you brought that up. One, because that's awesome. Two, because I think the best way to end this episode, Hannah, forgive me, I know you're hosting this week, but we did learn that Clarice is about to become a professional TikTok star. And this is the sort of thing that makes me very excited for this development. So, Clarice, I'm just saying, I didn't make that TikTok. <laughs> I know. I wish I'm just it saying, were. You've you, you, you got the right frame of mind for it, is what I'm saying. I'm very down with the kids. I downloaded <laughs> Fortnite. I play Fortnite now because I'm so fucking cool. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, I, I guess we did the thing. <laughs> we did. We did do the thing. <laughs> we did the sun thing. Yeah. <laughs> sun thing on a Sunday. We uh, are all of us. <laughs> yes, we are all of us. We are all of you. And we are so happy that all of you tune in. Uh, every week happy viewing via whatever medium is safest for you please subscribe rate and review the podcast it makes the difference and tweet us any questions or hot takes at fade to black pod on twitter you can find me at hannah flint on twitter or at hannah and s flint on instagram i'm at clarice lou on twitter and at clarice lockgate on instagram and, and also if you want to play me on Fortnite, <laughs> wait my, my game attack <laughs> If you want to play me on Fortnite, I think my PlayStation name is India Stoker. India Dot Stoker. Like the movie Stoker. Okay. I need to I need to add you on PlayStation. Uh on PlayStation I am the Dark Knight 239. Uh yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I was I was very much in my Batman phase when I got my PS3 and that was what I went for. And Wait, are you inviting people it. to like play with you on your <laughs> I'm like, yeah. no, I'm done. No, no, no. Let no, me no shoot you in Fortnite. <laughs> when, when... I'm very good at headshots. <laughs> okay, Clarice, look at you. Now, when, especially when I was, uh, you know, dominating people at FIFA, that I used to sort of get out my hashtag. I, I since stopped playing it because I just got far too competitive. And it, it, it... everyone's everyone, <laughs> everyone I've ever met who's ever got FIFA. It's always like, I've had to like, I've had to throw it away. Yep. That's so I've funny. had to like throw away my, I've had to smash up my disc because yeah. I, I just can't handle yep. it. Yeah, yep. no. Hey, I, you I, guys, I, you, you men, you men in your ball I, games. I, okay, anyway. A lot of control has perished uh, at the hands of me playing FIFA. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm at Amon Woman on Twitter and Instagram. Farewell, film friends. It's time to fade to black. <laughs> <laughs>